Today we meet in Isaiah chapter 22, the burden of the valley of vision. By the way, the valley of vision is Jerusalem. We're looking at the history of Shebna and Eliakim. This burden evidently refers to Jerusalem, as we shall point it out under the comments of the verses. The burdens began way off at a distance in Babylon, and they have continued to come nearer to Jerusalem. Now the storm breaks in all its fury upon the holy city. The burden against the valley of vision. What ails you now that you have all gone up to the housetops? Isaiah 22 verse 1. The valley of vision refers to Jerusalem as verses 4, 8, 9 and 10 imply. Jerusalem was built on several hills with valleys running between them. The city is surrounded by high mountains. In relation to these, Jerusalem appears to be in a valley. Hence, Isaiah's reference to Jerusalem as the valley of vision. The expression valley of vision is another of Isaiah's paradoxical statement again. Mountain of vision would be understood because the mountain is the place of the far or higher view. Moses stood on Mount Nebo to view the promised land. Our Lord Jesus looked over Jerusalem from Mount of Olives, but in scripture a valley symbolizes a place of sorrow, humbleness and death. Because the vision here is one of sorrow and coming battle, the valley is the proper place for the vision. Now, curiosity and fear sent people to the housetops to inquire about the approaching disaster. See the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem in Isaiah 36 and 37. In that last siege, our Lord warns people, to leave the housetops and flee. Unlike when this prophecy was given, when people were to see the Assyrians coming. Here is Isaiah 22 verse 2 to verse 5. You who are full of noise, a tumultuous city, a joyful city, your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in the battle. All your rulers have fled together. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. Therefore I said, look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. For it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity by the Lord of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountain. You see, the sound of modern warfare included the scream of jet aircraft, the chopping rhythm of helicopters, the concussions of bombs exploding, and the rapid fire blasts of assault rifles, now, by contrast, the noise of ancient warfare was primarily the sound of human beings crying out 
either in victory or when they are defeated. Those who are rejoicing or those who are crying as they die. Now, the din of battle can be heard in Isaiah's vivid description here of the fall of Jerusalem. Battle is coming and it is bringing darkness. It makes it even into a valley. So we sense that dimness. What is happening? There is the shouting from the rooftops, according to verse 1. There is also the third of arrows shot by the armies of skilled archers. As verse 2 to verse 3 says, it says, You who are full of noise, tumult a city, a joyous city, your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. All your rulers have fled. They are captured by the archers. All who are found in you are bound together. They have fled from afar. But not only the third of arrows, there is also the mourning and the weeping of captives. According to verse 3 to verse 4, I'll just read verse 4, which says, Therefore I said, look away from me, I weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. So there is the mourning and the weeping of the captives. There is the pounding of battle rams on the city gates and the walls, according to verse 5. For in that day of trouble, the treading down and perplexity by the Lord of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains. Further on, in that battle, there will be the clamor for help that never comes. Again in verse 5. Then the thundering of chariots and the neighing of horses is alluded to in verse 6 to verse 7. And finally, the collapse of houses in order to furnish building materials for fortifying the cities. In verse 10, that's what it talks about. Now, to hear the wail of the wounded and the moans of those in mourning is to catch an echo of the human pain unleashed whenever cities are destroyed. Do you, like me, watch the news in the world? There is pain. There is anguish. This will happen in Jerusalem. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great, and you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. Isaiah 22 verse 9 and 10. Hezekiah actually took these precautions in defending Jerusalem. According to Second Chronicles chapter 32. And one of the things he did was to put a wall around the fountain so that the city would not run out of water. You can still see it in that land today. This section refers to the future, my friend. As Dr. Jennings put it, the history eventuated in the deliverance of Israel, the prophecy in its capture. Therefore, the history does not fulfill it. Just what siege and enemy is in the mind of the prophet, Persia is mentioned by name, but Jerusalem was in ruins while Persia 
was in power. And apparently, all the enemies who have come up against Jerusalem are before us here, from the Assyrians who only laid a siege but did not enter the city, to the last enemy from the north who will threaten the city but will not enter it. The interval between these two has seen this city captured more than any other. This is the burden against Jerusalem. We now move brief from the case of Shibna and Eliakim. Now, the unusual insertion at this point of a historical document out of the archives of Jerusalem during the reign of Hezekiah is worth noting. Many have seen a picture of the Antichrist in Shebna, while Eliakim sets before us none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who will supplant the Antichrist in this world. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go, proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, Isaiah 22 verse 15. Now the term steward, which is your Hebrew word soken, occurs only here in the Old Testament, but is found in the literature of surrounding peoples as the title of a high government official. He probably was a prime minister or an important secretary of finance, a very high position. The description here who is over the house indicates that this corrupt official probably occupied the position of influence as a prime minister or as a secretary or a minister of finance. Now, Shebna, there he was a cheap politician under Hezekiah. Apparently, he was misappropriating the funds according to Second Kings 18.18, Second 18, Kings 19.2, Isaiah 36 verse 3, 37 verse 2. This is why we reach the conclusion that he probably was the minister of finance. But what was characteristic of him? He was misappropriating the funds. What have you here, and whom have you here, that you have held a sepulch here, as he who hails himself a sepulch on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Isaiah 22 verse 16. What we have here is that Shebna was building a tomb to perpetuate his name. Shebna is an example of one who should have been mourning, according to verse 12, and he should have been caring for the needs of the people, but rather he was rejoicing, as mentioned in verse 13. And he was preparing himself a grand tomb. Such rock-cut tombs exist across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem now, where the village of Silwan is now located. The inscription on one indicates that it could be the one which Shebna actually built. For this corruption and dereliction of duty, the Lord had him removed from his office, and ironically, he was to die and be buried in a foreign land, according to verse 17 to 19. He was replaced by Eliakim, who would be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But that 
uh, description of a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem implies that he would be concerned about them. He would seek to serve them. And of course, verse 21 talks of it. And chapter 36, verse 3 describes his father heart. Numerous times, scripture make the point that God brings about a reversal in people's prospects, depending on how they respond to him. That is a principle of scripture. He reverses some of our prospects. He reverses even some of our fortunes. Or, even if you were supposed to face doom, if you respond to God, that may be reversed. If you were bound for something good and then you disobey God, that may be reversed. In this case, the proud and the wicked who defy God will be brought low, while the poor and the meek who honor him will be raised up. Shebna, a man of Isaiah's time, offers a case study in this principle. The problem with Shebna's sepulch or tomb was that it typified the careless attitude of God's people. Shebna was not merely planning for his death. He was building himself a grand monument. When he should have been on his knees, crying out to the Lord for mercy, he was puffing up his own image and pride. Therefore God assured him that he would never use the elaborately carved tomb, but would die in a foreign country. Meanwhile, another official named Eliakim would inherit Shebna's position. You see, my friend, God still humbles the proud, according to James 4 verse 6. For that reason, God's people do well to take a personal inventory to see whether they are arrogantly ignoring what he has asked them to do or whether they are fulfilling his will with humility and obedience. So I will drive you out of your office and from your position he will pull you down. Isaiah 22 verse 19. Shebna, I think, is just also a manifestation of the Antichrist. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Helkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Isaiah 22, verse 20 to verse 21. You see here, Eliakim was the statesman who succeeded Shebna. Eliakim was an unselfish man. He and Shebna are in contrast here. And Isaiah has brought together these men who are more than paradoxes. They are opposites. Shebna pictures Antichrist and Eliakim pictures Christ. The language is very typical. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. Isaiah 22 verse 22. Now this verse reminds us of the words of Christ in the New Testament. He said in 
Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, who is pure, he who has the key of David, he who opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. How wonderful it is, my friend, to place your life in the hands of him who is able to close or open any door. That is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He specifically also said, I am the door and the nail. You see, only through Jesus Christ can you establish a relationship with God. Here is Isaiah 22, verse 23 to verse 25. I will fasten him as a peg in a square place. I'll fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity, from the cups to all the pitchers. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. Now this prophecy is very specific. As the prime minister over the house, Eliakim here would determine who would be allowed to see the king, a position of great authority and trust. He would also make decisions that only the king could overthrow. He would be the person upon whom people would rely like a peg driven into the wall. However, if the people trusted him rather than the Lord, they would be disappointed. We also have the phrase, in that day, it refers to the great tribulation period as we have seen. And this verse refers to Shebna as he pictures the Antichrist. And many people will put their trust in the Antichrist who is to come. They will look to him for help. They will think he is the Christ, but he will just be a nail that will ultimately fall to the ground. My friend, have you ever had an experience like this? You drive a good nail into the wall, you hang a heavy coat on it, and it falls down. The Lord Jesus Christ is the nail in a sure place. Shebna was a nail that came down, and so will all others who are like him. They will all fall down. Are you hanging everything you've got on the nail that is in a sure place, or you are hanging it on something that is not secure? Many people are not. They are hanging everything that they have on something that is not sure. For instance, they make investments. Some trust in lawyers, and we know that lawyers make mistakes. Some trust in banks, and we know that banks go bankrupt. My friend, lawyers, bankers, politicians, 
educationist and whoever you may name are nails not in a sure place. They are nails that will fall to the ground. Some people have even trusted a preacher and have found that he was not a nail in a sure place. Only Christ is a nail in a sure place. I hope you are hanging your life and everything that you have on him, the sure place. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.